So Genesis chapter 1, Psalm 139. And before we get into the word, let's just pray today. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, without your word, we are lost. We are in darkness. Lord, but with your word, you have uh, given us your light. You have revealed yourself to us. Lord, perfectly in the person of your son, who was the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, as we spend time in your word, God, we do not come placing ourselves in authority over your word. We do not set ourselves up as judges to judge whether your word is true or or whether it is authoritative in our lives. But Lord, as believers in your son Jesus, the word became flesh. We come in submission to your word that we would live under your word in full obedience and walking in your blessing. Because Lord, we know that the pathway to blessing is obedience to your word. So Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to submit to your word. Lord, show, shine into our hearts areas of our hearts that are in rebellion to your word and that we would humble ourselves and, and, and receive the healing that only you can bring to our broken hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to continue our series today, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, this summer, we're looking at uh, topics that are very much in the forefront of our culture, and we've been talking about the conflict that we see in our culture because of all of these issues. And what we've been looking at is that all of these issues are not separate issues, but really they are one issue. They stem from one common place. They're actually the fruit of one kind of thinking and where it comes from. And so last week we looked at the issue of origins, about where we come from. How did we get here? And what we see is that the Bible tells us and that Jesus affirms and he teaches that he is the creator of everyone and everything. That's how we got here. How did we get here? God. That's it. He created the world. The universe did not spontaneously come into being on its own, from nothing. There was not an uncaused cause to the universe. The universe is caused, the universe is designed, and it is created by God. We saw last week that the universe and the heavens declare the glory of God, that existence itself proclaims and preaches to us that there is a creator, and that all humanity knows, as image bearers of God, we know that to be the case and that to be true. But we looked at in Romans chapter 1 that there are those who are actively suppressing the truth of God as creator in their hearts in unrighteousness. Though God has made it clear through creation and and especially clear through his word that those who do not believe in God as the creator, it's not an issue of evidence but an issue of unbelief and rebellion against God. It's an issue of sin. Because the evidence is full on display. Where is the evidence? Open your eyes and look around. The the, the fact that existence exists is evidence for the creator God. And so, to, to, to believe that there's not a creator is to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as Romans chapter 1 said. And then we saw that Jesus said in Luke 11, 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And so there is an active war against God, an active war against Christ, an active war against the gospel by sinful humanity, of which we all were a part. 
before the Holy Spirit worked on our hearts and opened our eyes and showed us the truth of who Christ was. Amen? If it weren't for the grace of God breaking through in our hearts and in our lives and opening our eyes through the power of his spirit, we would still be blind and dead in our trespasses and sins. But what we must dispel of, we talked about this last week, we must dispel the idea that there is anybody who exists today that is neutral in this argument. There's a lot of people who want to claim that they are neutral, that they are unbiased, and Jesus says, no, there are two sides. You're either with me or you're against me. We need to understand that when it comes to all of these cultural issues, that there's nobody who is neutral. Everyone is, is espousing some morality. Everyone is espousing some moral code. Everyone is espousing some moral judgment. And we as Christians, we just decide that we're going to side on the side of Christ. Shocking, I know. And, and for, some, for some reason, there's, there's, there's this aversion for Christians to simply say, no, I'm a Christian and I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe what he said is true and authoritative. That because of this, this blindness, the, the, there's this rebellion against God and against his authority. And we saw that in the first week. That we as, as, as human beings try to live autonomous of God exercising our own autonomy from God, but that God is the creator and that we all belong to him. And that Jesus has made in himself a way for us to be reconciled to God through his work of redemption on the cross. And so today we're going to pick up, we're going to start in Genesis 1. We're going to start where we left off last week. Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the heavens, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And so God creates mankind in his image to glorify him. You were created to glorify God. That's the first answer and question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Why? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created to glorify God. You were created to bring him glory. You were created. How do we do that? How do we glorify God? By loving him and by obeying him. By living under his rule and under his authority, by exercising the dominion that he gave us over the earth, under him, we glorify God. We show forth his nature, his character, his attributes. Humanity is to be like a mirror that reflects the light of God, the nature of God, the character of God. Now, do we do that very well? Well, when we go to chapter 3 of Genesis, we see that we don't do that so well because we have 
entered into rebellion against God and choosing not to, to show forth his glory, but choosing to live for our own glory. Not choosing to live for his name and to make a name for himself. Not choosing to worship him, but rather to worship self. And we live in a culture today that bows down at the altar of self. Self-worship, self-exaltation, self-promotion. Social media is, is like the, the, the you know, main place where people go to do that. Right? Putting themselves, like, like people's number one favorite pastime is taking selfies. Hello? Well, we, we, we're so indoctrinated with the doctrine of self. Self rule. Self, self, self. Not God, God, God. We were created to glorify God. Now here God gives the mandate to the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. So God's desire for the world, God's plan for the world is that the world would be filled with his image bearers. That the earth would be filled with his glory by those who bear his image and worship him. Now, humanity enters into sin. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Satan comes and, and he lies to the woman. He says, don't, don't follow God. You be like God yourself. You make a choice for yourself. You decide what is right and wrong for yourself. Sin enters into the world and death comes through sin. Humanity enters into a downward spiral, spiral of debauchery. And we, we looked at this in Genesis chapter 6 when God decided to destroy the world and flood the world because of the wickedness of mankind. But then after God saves humanity through Noah, his, his family, and he delivers them, in Genesis chapter 9, he reissues this mandate. After God saves humanity and now he's starting over with a new family, Genesis 9, Genesis 9.1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And just in case they didn't get it, he says it again in verse 7, and you be fruitful and multiply and team on the earth and multiply in it. And so again, God's desire is for the world to be filled with his image bearers who love and glorify him through their obedience to him and their worship of him. That's God's desire for humanity. For the earth to be filled of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea through humanity that lives in submission to him. Now, did, did, did they do that? Did they come off the ark and say, let's get down to business, let's fill the earth? Well, no, what did we see? Genesis chapter 11, what did they do? In rebellion against God, they chose not to fill the earth, but rather to stay in one place. And to what? To make a name for themselves. To not fill the earth, to not multiply, to, to not worship God on his own terms, but to build what they called a tower to heaven. That they would not enter into relationship with God on the ways that he had provided, but that they would find salvation for themselves, placing faith in themselves and even in their own technology. And so the Lord dispersed them. He confused their languages and he sent them throughout the earth. Now, because we bear the image of God, all of us, look around this room. Every single person in here bears the image of God. You bear the image of God. 
But because humanity bears the image of God, because of that, Satan hates humanity. Satan hates humanity and is actively working to destroy it because every time a person is destroyed, the image of God is destroyed. So Satan today is actively working and he he worked through uh, deceiving Eve and he worked through Adam's sin and he worked through rebellion and he worked through this Tower of Babel exalting the, the self against God. Really, it's being filled with Satan's ideology because he himself said, I will exalt and I will sit on the throne of God and I will not worship and bow down to God, but I will be a God unto myself. This idea of self-worship, of self-exaltation, it is not godly. In fact, it is demonic. And so Satan is trying to fill humanity with his philosophy with his ideology to destroy humanity and mar the image of God. Jesus said this clearly in John 10.10. 10. He says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The work of Satan is steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's doing constantly. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So Satan's plan, steal, kill, and destroy. God's plan, life. And life abundantly. Satan's plans death. God's plan life. And one of the major ways that Satan today is executing his plan of death in the world today is through abortion. Now I know as soon as I say that word, we are all filled with. All kinds of thoughts, all kinds of feelings, all kinds of emotions, sometimes even conflicting thoughts and conflicting ideas. And there are some of you here today who share with me the idea that abortion is evil. There are some of you here today who believe abortion to be wrong, but... You, you may believe that it's not the government's job to impose morality, and so therefore it should be legal even though we believe it to be wrong. I know in a room this size, undoubtedly, that there are some women who are here who have had abortions. I know undoubtedly there are probably some men here who have participated in abortion by pressuring someone to abort their child or possibly even paying for that or forcing them to. There are other men here today who, as soon as I start talking about abortion, you want to check out because you believe it's just a women's issue. Well, the government says men can get pregnant now, so... (laughs) Depending if you look at your emojis these days... And so I want to encourage all of us, wherever you're at today, I'm going to deal on this issue. We're going to talk about this issue. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't matter what you think. What really only matters is what God thinks. That's all that matters. That's really all that matters. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what culture thinks. It doesn't matter what your parents or your grandparents thought. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God thinks. 
And as Christians, we believe the Bible. We believe the Word of God. And so I'm going to invite you to go with me to Psalm 139. What, what does God's Word have to say about this issue of abortion? I know there's a lot of people saying things about this today. It's very much in the news. But what does God's word have to say? Psalm 139. The whole psalm is incredible, but for the sake of time, we're going to start in verse 13. Well, I've got a lot today, so we're going to start in verse 13. He says, for you formed my inward parts, the, the psalmist David speaking of the Lord. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Here the psalmist says that it is God who is the author and the giver of life. You remember we looked at John 1 last week and it says the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life. And the life is the light of men. Life comes from Christ. Christ is the author and the giver of life. Christ is the one who forms us, who made us. You are who you are because Christ made you that way. He formed you. Every single human being is a masterpiece from God the Creator. Every human being is intricately made and planned from, from our, our design to, to the way that we look, to our personalities. It is a gift from God. And what here he says in verse 13 is that you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That the, that the mother's womb is the place where God, the, 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 the chief architect, where God, the, the, the greatest artist the, the world has ever known, it, it is his place of, of work. It is his studio where he goes to, to produce his masterpiece is the womb. It's a sacred place where God works miracles. Life is a miracle. 
And God knit each one of us together in our mother's womb. Now, if we don't believe that God is the creator, if, if we adopt the rebellious theory of origins, that we're all uncaused, that it's just time and chance acting on matter, billions of years, evolution, we were all just goo, and then somehow this goo became alive, and billions of years later, here we are. If, if that is what you believe, then, then you don't believe any of this. Then, then we're all just worthless, we're all just pointless, we're all purposeless, there's no future, there's no plan, there's no destiny. You're at Destiny Church, by the way. We believe God has a purpose. And here he says that, that even as God saw the, the, the psalmist's unformed substance, even though he is being formed in his mother's womb, he says in God's book were written every one of them, the days of my life that were formed for me. Before we live our days, before we're even born, as we're still being, uh, as we're still developing in our mother's womb under the watchful care and, 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 and hand of God, God already has planned and foreseen all of the days of our lives, the purpose for our life. As an image bearer of God, we are endowed with value. We are endowed with purpose. We are endowed with innate worth. Separate from the rest of creation. The animals are not made in the image of God. Yes, they are valuable. Yes, they have worth. But they are not made in the image of God. And so humanity sits in this place under God, but above lower creation. You are more valuable than a monkey. You are more valuable than a tree. Now, as God's, as God's stewards, as God's image bearers, we're to have dominion over the earth. We're to take care of the earth. We're not to trash this place that God gave us. Right? It seems like we ought to be good stewards. But the earth is not more valuable than us. The earth is not eternal. We are eternal. And so every human soul, I, I read this uh, this last week or a couple weeks ago, I don't remember where I read it or who the author was, but he said, every human soul is worth more than all the universe together. Every star, every planet. I, I was pondering on that and I was thinking on that and I, 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 the light bulb went out for me, went on, went, went, went on for me. It didn't go out, it came on. Well, how, how can that be? Well, because the universe is not eternal, but every soul, every human soul is eternal. So every human soul has, has innate value and worth far beyond the rest of creation as image bearers of God. And so what, one of the reasons what makes abortion so terrible is that it actively destroys what God is in the process of creating. It enters into the womb, into God's sanctuary of creation, and it begins to rip apart what God is putting together. It begins to dismember limb by limb, to, to bring death to the place where God brings forth life. 
There is nothing more anti-God and more anti-Christ than abortion. While God is weaving together a human life, again, which is a total miracle, the abortionist, called a doctor, inserts his specialized tools of death and destruction, turning the womb into a tomb. It is pure and unadulterated evil on the highest order of magnitude. God so values human life that in Exodus chapter 21, we won't take time to go there, but in God's law, he, he, he tells what should happen to someone who, who causes harm to a pregnant woman. That if there is a woman who is pregnant and a man causes harm to her, injures her, causes injury to her or the child, that he is to be repaid eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. And so if a man takes, either on purpose or accidentally, causes the death of a child that is developing in the womb, that is in, under God's eyes and in God's law, that is a capital offense. Punishable by death under God's law, on purpose or accident. And that even if there, there, there is some sort of accident where a man causes harm to a pregnant woman and the baby comes out fine, that there still has to be payment and restitution made by that act of carelessness. And what God is doing in that is he's placing this hedge of protection around women who are pregnant. Saying, be careful. Life is precious. Life is valuable. Take care for those who are, 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 are pregnant, who are going to give birth. And if God cares this way, about those who might accidentally cause an abortion, and that came with the penalty of death, there should be no question how God views premeditated abortion on demand. The sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill. The taking of innocent human life, the Bible says, God declares, is murder. Thou shalt not kill. Proverbs 6.17 says that God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And so I would submit to you that in no case, under no circumstance, is abortion acceptable in the eyes of God. Now, if there is a medical issue where the, the, the life of the mother and the life of the child are in danger, you don't go to an abortion clinic. You go to a hospital where there are doctors who will do their best to preserve both the life of the child and the life of the mother. There's this whole argument, the life, the, what about the life? The life of the mother is in danger. You go to the hospital. What they can do today is incredible. But you don't go to a place of death. You go to a place where they choose to preserve life. 
Now, this issue of abortion is not a new issue. The issue of abortion didn't become an issue in 1972 with Roe v. Wade. It's not a new thing. This abortion didn't come into being 50 years ago. In fact, the early church father, Tertullian, wrote this. To hinder a birth is merely a speedier man-killing. Nor does it matter whether you take the life that is born or destroy one that is coming to birth. The early church father had to write about abortion in the second century. Saying essentially there's no distinction between abortion and murder. Now there was a Roman historian and politician, his name was Tacitus. And he was appalled that the Jewish people would not kill their babies. Because in that time unwanted babies would be commonly left for dead in the streets or thrown out with the garbage. Under Roman law, the the child did not become a human being with rights until the father decided that he wanted to keep it. And so it was early church Christians who were even under persecution who went around at night and rescued babies from the garbage. Why? Because we believe that all life is valuable and sacred and comes from God. No matter what people think of them. So the question arises, well, when does life begin? When does life begin? Well, according to Psalm 139 and according to the Bible and according to science, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. As soon as fertilization takes place, all of the DNA is there for a unique human being at the moment of conception. At the moment of conception. What is in the mother's womb is alive. Alive. Begins to grow, begins to multiply. John the Baptist in his mother's womb, when he heard the voice of Mary, who had been filled, who had, who had recently been con- had con- conceived Christ in her womb, when he hears Mary's voice, he leaps in his mother's womb upon hearing the voice of the mother of Christ. The unborn child responding to the work of the Holy Spirit What's in the mother's womb is alive. It is living. What's in the mother's womb is also human. It's human. What is in the mother's womb? It is an alive human being. It's not a dog. It's not a cat. Some people want to call it other things to try and obscure the fact that it's a live human being. So they want to call it things like a fetus. Or I've heard people call it a zygote. It is a human being. It is human with human DNA bearing the image of God. The unborn baby is human from conception. 
You hear people say, well, it's just a clump of cells. It's just a clump of cells. Listen, you're a clump of cells. I'm a clump of cells. People make the argument, well, the, it's not fully, it doesn't have cognitive ability. It's, it's not fully developed with cognitive ability. That's true. I'm not arguing that, but do we, do we kill people who aren't that smart? Do we, do, we, do we kill people based on their cognitive ability? How many of you are glad when you failed the SAT they didn't, like, send you to the executioner, right? I mean, that's just... Cognitive ability is not a marker of human worth and value. Well, they say, well, they're not fully developed. They're not fully formed. Well, neither is a baby. Neither is is a baby after it's born. Neither is a two-year-old. Neither is a five-year-old. Neither is a ten-year-old. We don't, your, your value as a person is not based on your development. If you think you can take the life of the pre-born, there, there's no reason why you can't take the life of the born. In fact, there are those even today who are arguing for this. Well, they're not born yet. They're still in their mother's womb. Okay. We don't kill people based on their location. That's not a good reason to kill somebody. All of the arguments for abortion fall flat when you believe that it is a human being that is alive. We don't kill people based on cognitive ability, level of development, or their location. Abortion, hear me on this, abortion is the extermination of the powerless by the powerful. It is sheer power wielded against those who have none. I'm going to give you some facts on abortion. There are 3,000 abortions that take place in the United States every single day. 22% of all pregnancies in the United States of America will end in abortion. That's nearly a fourth. 30% worldwide end in abortion. 30% of all pregnancies worldwide end in abortion. That's one, nearly one-third of all human beings die before they're ever born. Six in ten, 60% of all unintended pregnancies end in abortion. Planned Parenthood, which is the largest and most well-known and well-funded abortion provider, has 600 locations in the United States. In 2015, it was revealed that Planned Parenthood was selling the body parts of aborted children for research. Somehow this organization... Planned Parenthood is granted 501c3 nonprofit status. In 2020, Planned Parenthood brought in $1.6 billion in income. It's subsidized and funded by our taxpayer dollars. It is, Planned Parenthood is the largest and most profitable nonprofit in all of history. It's in the same category as a church. The founder of Planned Parenthood was a woman named Margaret Sanger. She was a eugenicist. She she believed that 
Um, if you don't know what that means, it was you, the, the idea of eugenics was developed by this godless individual And it's the idea that you can control population through selective breeding to bring about a master race of people. Malthusian eugenics, the same ideology that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was filled with, is the same ideology that Adolf Hitler was filled with when he proposed his final solution, also known as the Holocaust. But to compare Margaret Sanger to Adolf Hitler is to do Adolf Hitler a disservice. That's how evil of a woman she was. She was a serial adulterer, serial fornicator. She taught her teenage granddaughter that, well, I, can't, I don't even want to say what she taught her. And her ideology is still embedded deep within Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a racist. Now, I know that word means almost nothing today because it's been so emptied and devoid of meaning. She believed that people of other races were inferior and not fully human. In her all-time bestseller called The Pivot of Civilization, Margaret Singer unashamedly called for the elimination of human weeds. She called for the elimination of, of charity, all charitable acts. She called for the segregation of morons, misfits, and maladjusted. And for the forced sterilization of genetically inferior races. She called for the abandonment of all forms of charity and compassion because it eased the misery of, quote, defective delinquents and dependents. And she called all of those who received such charity human waste. She believed that blacks, Jews, and other ethnic minorities were, quote, inferior races and human weeds. She aspired to, quote, create a race of thoroughbreds by encouraging more children from the fit and less from the unfit. She founded what she called the Negro Project, in which she said, and I quote, the mass of Negroes, particularly in the South, still breed carelessly and disastrously, with the result that the increase among Negroes, especially more than among whites, is from that portion of the population least intelligent and fit. And so she put together a program to keep the Negro population under control. The international wing of Planned Parenthood notoriously supported China's one-child policy. This policy stated that a woman who conceives after already giving birth must abort her child, and those women who resisted were forced to comply. Forced abortions, Planned Parenthood supported in China. She says, and I quote, the incessant fertility of the Chinese millions spread like a plague, end quote. 
In her book, Woman and the New Race, Margaret asserted that the most merciful thing, quote, the most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it, end quote. And in case you're wondering what she thought about Jesus, she said, quote, I look forward to seeing humanity free someday of the tyranny of Christianity, end quote. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion, abortion agency in America. And because of her work, and because of her ideology, today, African Americans and other racial minorities are disproportionately targeted by abortion. 78% of Planned Parenthood clinics are in minority communities. Though African Americans only make up 13% of the population in the United States, they account for 35% of all abortions. That's a, that's a nearly three times multiple of the population quotient. Since 1973, abortion has reduced the population of African Americans in the United States by over 25%. Between 2015 and 2019, on average, worldwide abortions, according to the World Health Organization, which is very proud of this fact because they promote it, Between 2015 and 2019, worldwide abortions per year, 73.3 million. The leading cause of death for those who are born is heart disease. Worldwide, in 2021, 693,000 people died of heart disease. Worldwide, 605,000 people died of cancer in 2021. But 73 million died of abortion. Abortion is far and away the leading cause of death in the world, period. Far and away the leading cause of death. The majority of human deaths today come from abortion. Over 90% of Down syndrome children are aborted today. In the 20th century, nearly 3 billion babies were aborted. Legal abortion on demand is the greatest moral evil in all of human history, by far. It surpasses the Holocaust. It surpasses the slave trade. It surpasses uh, every single moral evil by far. 73 million babies every year aborted. In 2012, Canada's Journal on Medical Ethics published a paper that said leading medical intellectuals are advocating for legalizing after birth abortion, which is infanticide. They argued that the newborn baby is only a potential person without a moral right to life, 
that's leading medical experts. Since Roe v. Wade has been passed in the United States, 62 million babies have lost their life on American soil. Now, there's a major propaganda campaign to convince us that abortion is anything but murder. And so abortion is called things like women's health care. But if abortion is health care, it means that children are a disease. Ch children are not a disease. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Unfortunately, because even in the church, this ideology of death, this culture of death has infiltrated even the minds of believers. We oftentimes don't even look at children as a blessing, but a burden. Our society looks at children not as a blessing, but as an inhibitor to personal freedom and happiness. Why? Because our culture worships at the idol of self. Abortion is not health care. Abortion is also called reproductive justice. Where's the justice for the unborn? Where's the justice for the baby in the womb? Abortion is called pro-choice. People say, my body, my choice. I'm sorry, Christ says he's king. He says you belong to him. So it's not your body and it's not your choice. We belong to God. Abortion is human sacrifice on the altar of choice. It's the same philosophy that Satan filled Eve with in the garden. You can be like God. You can make the choice for what is right and wrong for yourself. And we love our altar of choice. We love our altar of autonomy. We love it so much, we offer up our children on it, 3,000 a day in this country. Now, there are arguments for legal abortion. I don't think they're very good. They say, well, the, the child is dependent upon the mother and you can't force the mother to, to, to bring forth the child because the, the child is dependent. And so therefore, since the child is dependent on the mother, the mother has the right to terminate the pregnancy. Well, if you're going to say that, then you have, to, you have to say that infanticide is okay too because guess what? My children are still completely and totally dependent upon me. Hello? If I stop taking care of my children, if me and Heather stop caring for them, they would die. And as parents, we would be held responsible and rightfully so. So just because the child is dependent upon the mother does not give the mother the right to kill her baby. The other one that I think even Christians have a hard time with is the issue of rape. The issue of rape. You should know that less than 1% of abortions are because of rape. You should know that. the issue is not one of rape, but it's used, it's used as a, as a cudgel to shut Christians up. 
Because if you argue with the pro-choice person and say, okay, well, well, then would you advocate for abortion being outlawed in all cases except for rape? They'll say, well, no, no, of course not. No, no, a woman has a choice. So that's not what it's about, so why are we talking about it? Nevertheless, the reason why rape is such an abomination is for the same reason that abortion is an abomination. Because in, in rape, a person is using their power to violate another person's body which is exactly what abortion is. There are those who claim bodily autonomy, bodily autonomy. I have the right to do what's right, what I decide to do with my own body. The argue for bodily autonomy is an argument against abortion because what is inside the mother is not her body. It is another human being. So the argue for bodily autonomy is actually a self-refuting argument. It's actually an argument for pro-life. But on the issue of rape, you do not kill the children for the sins of the father. You do not murder children for the sins of the father. Now, does it mean you have to raise that child? You can give that child up for adoption? There are many, many, many godly, good, wonderful people who will gladly adopt your child. But just because one sin has been done, you don't make it right by murdering your child. That doesn't help anything. And by the way, you should know if you are, if you came into the world as a product of rape, the pro-choice movement, the abortionist, doesn't believe that you should be alive today. They believe you should have been aborted in your mother's womb. The other argument that's made is one of poverty. Well, they're, they, they, the mothers are poor. They'll grow up poor. Listen, you don't murder people just because they're poor. But poverty is, is, there's more to life than wealth and riches. And then there's the most Ridiculous of arguments I've seen made that abortion saves lives. <laughs> I've seen that sign. I don't even know what that means. I, I, it's just up is down, black is white. Abortion saves lives. Every abortion is the termination of a life. Another argument is made is that every child should be a wanted child. If the child is not wanted, it should not be born. But a child's value is not determined by the desire of the mother. If a child's value is determined by the desire of the mother, it reduces children to simply a commodity. People are not commodities. They're image bearers of God. And so finally, the final argument is made that you can't impose your morality on people. And that might be where you are here today. And if that's where you are, hear me in this. That's, that's where many, many, many people are. You, well, yes, I believe abortion is wrong. Yes, I believe it is evil. Yes, I believe it is the taking of a human right. But you can't impose your morality on people. Every single law is an imposition of someone's morality. For, for, the, for, you, for you who say you can't impose your morality on people, should it not be illegal to steal? Should it not be illegal to rape? Should it not be illegal to murder other people? Well, no, no, I think that's right. Well, then, then why do, do we stop here? 
Every law is an imposition of someone's morality. And by choosing to not outlaw abortion, you are imposing a moral judgment on society. That is a moral judgment. There's the argument that you can't bring Christian beliefs into the public square. And to that I say, why not? Why not? Supposedly, we are prohibited from bringing God's law into the public square, but we must allow godless, demonic ideologies to have free run of the place? No, I don't think so. What's also fundamentally absent from any discussion you will ever hear in the public square on abortion is that there's a way to not get pregnant. You'll never hear that talked about. Do you know why? Because in our world, because of the sexual revolution, sex has totally been separated from procreation. Totally. Sex is, is a, a sport. Sex is a thing you do for fun. It's totally and completely, because of the sexual revolution, completely and totally removed from procreation. And so, therefore... Nobody even talks about that. So men, stop having sex with women who are not your wife. Women, stop having sex with men who aren't your husband. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist. But I know how babies are made. It's not rocket science. Men need to take responsibility for their actions. This is part of the issue that I have with this being a women's issue is it totally removes the responsibility from the man who has fathered this child. Men, we are not, uh, in God's eyes, we are responsible. When God sees us, he sees us as responsible. I know society may not hold us that way. But abortion is not a woman's issue. It is a humanity issue. And men and women must take responsibility for their actions. And we must not punish children because of our sin. I am an, ab- I, I am an abolitionist. I believe abortion in all forms should be abolished 100%. I believe abortion is, amen. It should be outlawed, absolutely outlawed. It should be abolished. It is pure tyranny on the most vulnerable. They say, well, even if you outlaw it, it's still going to happen. It'll just happen in back alleys and nasty places. Well, guess what? That's the places that murders take place. So the question for us as God followers, as Christ followers, is have we bought into any of this deception? Do we believe that the quote-unquote fetus is somehow less than human? This week, as I've 
immersed myself in this world. I've searched my own heart and wondered how I've become so calloused to the horrific reality. How I'm so unbothered by it. I believe this is the defining moral issue of our day. And Christians need to speak up for the unborn. Now, I know there are some here today, like I said, who have had abortions, men who have pressured women to have abortions. Where does that leave you? What you need is to not self-dilute yourself about the reality of what you have done. But what you need is to come to terms with the reality of what you have done. And you need to take it to the foot of the cross. You need to apply the gospel to your sin. So that you can have healing. There is healing for you today. In the cross of Christ. There is hope in the gospel. Jesus died for our sin. All of our sin. And when we come to Christ with our sin. And allow him to wash us in his blood. We receive healing. Some of the most. The the biggest heroes of our faith were murderers. Moses was a murderer. King David was a murderer. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. But they repented and came to Christ. And we do not know them because of their sin, but we know them because of who they were in Christ. You are not defined by your sin. That's how the world wants to define us. We are defined as children of God. And so at Destiny Church, there is no stigma for anyone who has had an abortion. But for there to be healing, you must walk in the light. You must bring it to Christ. I also want to commend the women in this place who through the course of your life have chosen life. Who sided with God even in difficult and hard times. And though it may have been sin that brought the life into being, you chose not to multiply that sin by having an abortion. And so I commend you in that today. But the bottom line is this. Why is abortion wrong? Because God says so. That's the bottom line. And I believe, honestly, I truly believe this. We all need to repent. We all need to repent. And 
one way, shape, or form. We've been complicit. We've been indifferent as children are chopped up and sold on the black market. Just down the street from here, there's a place of death. We, 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 we need to have God break our hearts for the travesty, for the millions of lives that are taken. We need to pray that God would overturn the wickedness and that righteousness would reign in our land. You understand that even when, and I pray by the grace of God, it is when, even when Roe v. Wade is overturned, it just puts the issue back to the states. You realize that even in the state of Texas with, with Roe v. Wade overturned, that abortion is still legal up until six weeks. It's still legal. We, we have to do what we must to see this scourge, scourge of humanity dealt with. But it's not until God changes our hearts and brings us under conviction that we'll take action. So I invite you to stand with me. I invite the worship team to come. Father, help us, help us. We need your help, God. God, we are so compromised. We are so indoctrinated. We are so blinded to the reality. God, help us to see what you see. Help us to feel what you feel. Help us, Lord, not to harbor any condemnation in our hearts towards anyone, but to be champions of grace, champions of the cross, champions of the love and the forgiveness that only you can bring. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for the lost life that you would move us and that you would spur us to action. Move us to our knees. Move us to take action, to get involved, to volunteer, to adopt, to, to, to be part of the solution, not just those who curse the darkness. Lord, that you would cause righteousness to flow through our lands. Lord, that the injustice and the tyranny of abortion would be overturned, overthrown, and that you would establish your kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.